Okay, this will be lesson number 17 in our series in Romans. And today we are at uh, chapter 9, and we'll begin there, of course. Uh, a little disclaimer, I'm going to attempt to use some technology today. And uh, you know me and technology, so be in prayer for the lesson as we go. Uh, normally, even if it starts out well, something blips and I, I lose track. So just uh, pray for the technology. If not, we'll just go old school if the, if the technology fails, and that'll be okay. Romans chapter 9, again, it takes a, a little turn from the section that we just finished, closing out, obviously, at the end of Romans chapter 8, where we, we, the first section of Romans, Paul deals with man's sin, the, the sin problem. The second section, which we just finished, he deals with grace and salvation, the deliverance to that sin problem. Now we enter into another section where Paul begins to deal with Israel and the, the problems with Israel. And so it's a transition, and I think I mentioned at the close of last week's lesson that it's almost as if, I wonder if Paul finished writing Romans 8 one evening and was tired and laid down his pen and, and, and slept for the night, maybe, maybe a day or two, and then picked his pen up at a later point and then started writing where we pick up in Romans chapter 9. Of course, he didn't do chapters and verses. It was one epistle for him. But the section seems so distinct to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that I wonder if they weren't segments written at, at different times. Uh, don't know that, don't have any proof of that, just, just food for thought, I guess. But the, the chapter, the, the next three chapters really all deal with Israel and their, their relation to God, to the gospel, uh, so on and, and so forth. And they are distinctly Israel. Paul's concern for Israel is where he begins. And so I want to, and I'm trying to decide as I speak, if we read the entire chapter or just sections. And I think what we'll do is, is split the difference and read the first two sections. So we'll read the first 13 verses. If we get far enough in the lesson, then we'll come back and finish the chapter. I'd like to finish the entire chapter today, but I don't know that we'll do that. Uh, my plan, just so that you know heading in, uh, from time to time we talk about the history of Israel. And so we're going to look at chapter 9. We're going to pause and we're going to do a, a, just a brief snapshot of the biblical history of Israel, the ancient history we might say, and, and talk about that because it directly relates to what Paul's stating here, especially when he talks about uh, Israel's rejection and needs. And so that's where we're headed and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So join me if you will, Romans chapter 9 verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also being my, being my witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all in the eternity blessed to God. Amen. 
But it is not that the word, God, uh, word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God according to the election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So Paul gives uh, this reflection here, and he starts with this very um, almost shocking verse in where he admits and confesses that he almost would give up his own salvation for the sake of his countrymen. In other words, Paul's burden for the Israelites uh, to know Christ, to, to be in fellowship with Christ, is so strong, he said, I would almost give it up. It, and it's honestly, it, it, it kind of is eye-opening when he begins the, the verse because he, he says, first of all, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit. It's like, in other words, he's like, I promise, promise, promise. You know, he kind of starts with this because I'm about to say something that's so far out there, outlandish, if you will, uh, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not kidding about this. I, my burden is, is this great for Israel. So let's pause for just a moment and take a look at just a brief snapshot of, Israel, uh, of is, is, Israel's history, uh, B.C. Now, when we use B.C., uh, and I know y'all are intelligent people. Most of you know this, but I thought just for my own benefit and, and maybe for one or two out there, we would... We would go over this. So if we look at this um, abbreviation, this uh, BC, uh, even from the Oxford's Advanced Learning Dictionary, uh, other dictionaries, uh, they hold this definition. It means simply before Christ. In other words, it's used in the Christian calendar to show a particular number of years before the year when Christ was believed to have been born. Now, it works a little differently. When you, when you look at B.C. dates, they get larger the further back in history that one searches. Obviously, that's the opposite from the, the A.D. Uh, dates or the line segment, if you will, on a timeline. Uh, that, that transitions because the marking point, that middle point, is the birth of Christ for both B.C. and A.D. So... Uh, as, as you work backwards, the dates get larger the further away you go. As you work forwards, uh, the, the dates get larger as you get further and further away from the birth of Christ going into the future. Uh, centuries are marked with the beginning of the year 1 in both the B.C. and the A.D. calendar. In other words, there's no, there's no z year 0. And so I was born in 1968. So what century was that? 20th century, very good. All right, so uh, because there was no year one, there's no that, that first century doesn't start with zeros. Uh, you always had that way. And it gets confusing when you look at BC days because it goes backwards. But yet it, it works essentially the same way, yet in reverse. So understand that when you look at timelines and, and do studies. 
Another difficulty in establishing ancient dates is the use of different or no calendars in the ancient world. So oftentimes things are marked in the ancient world uh, with correlating events or rulers or things of that, that nature. Uh, especially when you consider, if you start looking at events in Israel with Abraham, Isaac, things like that, I, I don't know of a calendar that they kept. Um, maybe they did. Uh, I'm not aware. I know that Israel kept calendars, and I know that they have a different calendar. But I don't know as far back as the Abraham years that there was calendars kept. Do you have any insight on that, Benny, Billy, at all? Or I, I'm not aware of it. But I know as they try to mark those dates, they generally just use a correlation of events that happened that are mentioned, rulers that were in, in place in places like Egypt, especially use a lot of the Egyptian dates to correlate events and that sort of thing. I know there are some eclipses that we can figure out exactly sure. what year it would have been. Yeah, so events like that, solar events, lunar events, things of that nature are mentioned often. It's great storms are mentioned, things of that nature too. And so all those things, and, and they almost use those kind of triangulate dates sometimes. Uh, but the, I say all that to say this, don't, don't expect and don't be discouraged Courage when we we can't nail down a historical date to an exact year even or even just a time period uh, often we have to settle for that just you know that that period of time we think within these 10 years or even these hundred years that this this century we, we, we feel confident and the further back you go the harder it becomes because dates just weren't tracked as, as carefully uh, and even if they are, then you have to correlate and figure out which calendar was being used. And there's a number of calendars in history that are used that are different. Again, I mentioned uh, the, the calendar that was used in, in the New Testament. I think it was a, a, a solar calendar no, or lunar. <coughs> Opposite of ours. Julian calendar. The, pardon? Julian calendar. Well, that was, yeah, that was one of them. Uh, there's a... There's a bunch of them, and I'm not smart enough to tell you the Gregorian. There was one of their calendars. There, there were a lot of calendars. So you, had, you have to consider who's providing information and which calendar is being used and then correlate it with the calendar that you're working with. It gets very confusing. So, again, I say that so that as you, if you do studies on your own, it, trust me, the lesson's not going to be this deep in today. So I'm not trying to allude to that. I, I just want to make you aware that that can be very difficult to nail down dates precisely. Nonetheless, it doesn't make the historical event any less accurate or trustworthy. Does that make sense? So just understand that, uh, that those, those dates can be difficult. So let's talk about Abraham, and it starts with Abraham. Israel, as we know, begins with Abram um, and his call in Ur of the Chaldees. I use and lean heavily on an, an older book, um, that probably written in the 70s by a guy named uh, Leon Wood. Uh, he's a Michigan guy, by the way, Lisa. Uh, and he, um, he wrote a book called A Survey of Israel's History. I used the book, uh, I used it at Bob Jones and, and learned a lot from it. I, it's not just because I'm familiar with it from there, but he, he gives, especially in the first part of the book, a lot of reasoning of how he arrives at the dates that he uses to establish things like Abraham's birth date and things of that nature. And they're not all 
biblical, he does use biblical uh, references, but he also uses extra biblical references. And, and it just, it makes, it makes sense to me in, in, in good correlation there. Are, so I trust it, in other words. So Abraham's arrival in Canaan at age 75 can be dated around 2166 BC. So that means Abraham receives his covenant promise in Genesis 15, about 2141. So again, we're looking backwards from the birth of Christ. So we're 2,000 years prior to the birth of Christ that this covenant comes into play. And this is the establishment of Israel. Again, our topic, uh, in, in case I lost somebody and all that rambling I did about calendars and dates, we're looking at a brief snapshot of Israel's history because of what Paul's alluding to in Romans chapter 9 and his burden for Israel. So the question as we look at it this morning is where did Israel go wrong? Because Israel are God's chosen people, correct? That, his nation. And so the nation begins... Uh, in a way that no other nation ever, be, ever began or, or will ever begin. Israel is special. They are the apple of God's eye. They are called with a, a, a special circumstance and a special purpose. The beginning here in this era between 2166 and 2141 uh, with the establishment of this covenant. And many see, uh, many scholars believe that they, or they look at Genesis 15, 6 is Abraham's salvation. And this is where he's about to enter into the covenant. He followed God out of Ur of the Chaldees and he established himself. And yet at some point, uh, God comes to him and Abram says, you know, I need something more, God. I need relationship with you. I need to be firm on this. I've, I've trusted you this far, but I need, in other words, something to hold on to. And this is the chapter where the covenant is established, where God really nails it down. And the salvation verse says that, that basically he believed it in faith. He, he believed and God counted it unto righteousness. Hence, this is the verse that many scholars say, well, this is his salvation experience, if you will. Now, others will say, well, he trusted from way back uh, in Genesis 12 when he follows God. Amongst uh, living amongst pagan gods, God speaks to Abram and he drops everything and follows in faith. Well, we can split hairs over that, yes or no. It doesn't matter. God knows. Uh, but just understand that this is the chapter where the, the covenant is uh, initiated and confirmed and sealed. A tremendous, tremendous study, by the way. So God's covenant is established and described, which guarantees the land of Israel. And that's found in Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. So God calls Abram. He, he brings him to this promised land. The covenant is established in Genesis 15. And as a part of that, as a result of the covenant, God himself says, these are the lands. And he lays out the borders uh, using the peoples that currently occupied or presently occupied in Genesis 15 says, your land is going to be from here to here, and you're going to be a father of many nations. You're, you're going to fill this thing up. Um, so he appears again, God appears again in 2140 uh, to Abram, uh, who is 99 years old, uh, in Genesis 17. And he confirms the covenant now in this chapter. And this is where Abram's name is changed to Abraham, which means 
father of many nations. I've heard other scholars who said this last part when he added that, that ham or, or ham, I guess is the phonetic way to say it. He actually got attached part of his name to Abram's name. And I don't know enough about Hebrew to, to tell you if that's accurate or not, but it preached really well when I heard it. So uh, you can take it or leave it, I guess. Circumcision is also established as the sign of uh, the covenant and God's people. 2139, Isaac is born when Abraham is a uh, hundred years old. Uh, Genesis 21, Isaac is, uh, is born and Sarah is able to nurse and care for Isaac. Uh, she is 90 years old, by the way, when this happens. Uh, so, encouragement, Darla. Uh, I guess. I don't, I don't, uh, Sarah can do it, you can too. I'm going to tell you. Uh, and at this point, Hagar and Ishmael depart. 2127, approximately, Abraham proves his faith through Isaac's near sacrifice. They're going up on the mountain. Uh, Isaac is, and I, and I give the approximate date because I, I didn't find anything to nail it down, but we know that Isaac is old enough to carry the wood and the implements up the mountain. So 12, 15 years old, probably something like that. He's, he's able to go and, and he's big enough to struggle with a 100-year-old man and get away if he doesn't want to be the sacrifice, but he's carrying the load up, and uh, of course, you know the story. He turns to his father and says, Father, we have the, the wood and the, the, the rope, everything that we need, but uh, yet no lamb. And Abraham says, Don't worry, Isaac, God will provide the lamb. Sarah dies, 2102, at the age of 127, and Isaac is 37 years old at this time. So then we have Isaac, and Isaac uh, is the son of promise. By the way, how many boys does uh, Abraham have? Two, all right. How many are part of the promise, part of the covenant? One, Isaac. So keep that in mind as we get back to Romans chapter 9. All that matters. All this, all this correlates to Romans chapter 9 in some way, I promise you. Uh, Rebecca bears two sons. Esau is the older uh, and favored by Isaac, by the way. Jacob is the younger and favored by Rebekah. Uh, Isaac blesses Jacob rather than Esau. Um, Jacob is born the younger of the twin boys. Uh, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob after they are grown. Uh, Jacob is blessed by Isaac through the deception of Rebekah and Jacob. Uh, I'm sorry through the deception of, uh, Jacob is blessed by Isaac, yes, through the deception of both Rebekah and Jacob. And then Jacob lives his early life as a deceiver or a scammer. So you know the, the story that he, Esau sells his birthright, but then um, Jacob and Rebekah deceive Isaac. Um, they put on rough, furry things on, yeah, yeah, make him, you make him, I, Jacob is blind and so Isaac goes in I'm sorry, Isaac is blind. Jacob goes in and makes his father believe that he is Esau. And, and um, Isaac gives a blessing to Jacob that Esau thought should have been his. And so he's, he sets out to kill Jacob. Jacob flees. He runs away uh, for his life. Uh, he goes off and meets with Uncle Laban. Uh, he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Laban is a greater deceiver than Jacob is and tricks him. He ends up with both sisters uh, married. And 
again, so Abraham had two sons. Isaac had two sons. They're supposed to be this great, great nation, and things are not going logical, at least, or it doesn't seem that way to the human mind. But then we get to Jacob and his family. And so Jacob begins to have children through different women, uh, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah, and Rachel. Rachel was the preferred wife. He, she, she's the wife that Jacob wanted and initiated for. Laban deceived Jacob and had him marry his, uh, Rachel's older sister, Leah, through deception. Jacob then works another seven years, marries Rachel. The other two, Zilpah and Bilhah, is, are the, the handmaids of, of them and we're not going to get into the customs and all that happens. Nonetheless, these are the, this is the result. All these uh, boys are born. And this is the birth order that they are born in. You see Leah lists twice. That's not typo. That is there because of the birth order. So Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin. So we have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There, did I miss one? Judah. Yeah. I missed Judah, didn't I? How did I do that? Thank you. Somebody's fast. So uh, <laughs> Judah is missing. I, my apologies. It should be twelve there. So obviously you caught on with that. So uh, we have twelve sons and how many tribes with Israel? It's twelve. But see, this is what's confusing because Joseph because of Levi, tribe, right? He had two because his sons. So he gets a double oh, blessing. Okay. And those are Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Y'all want to come up and do this? Because you're doing really, really well. Um, so, and that's where the, the, the... Now, another unique thing when we're talking about Israel's history is this tribe here. So what's different about Levi and how they're governed? They, the priests come from the tribe of Levi, and so they don't own a, a, a land portion, if you will. They, they basically own and, and occupy land portions throughout all of the 12 tribes so that the priests are throughout all of the land. And then they will send priests on a rotating basis to work in the tabernacle and the temple. Cool? Uh, and so that government is established that way. So here's another thing. Jacob, and this again correlates back in Romans chapter 9. And again, we're just, we're just skimming the top of Israel's history, obviously. We're not looking deep into any of this. Jake, God changes Jacob's name to Israel in Genesis 35. Israel uh, means God prevails. So we get back to Romans 9. God is, uh, Paul is going to talk about God's choosing who he blesses. And in our 21st century American privileged minds, and I don't, I don't mean that derogatory. I'm just saying the culture we live in, the language seems unfair and wrong. Oh, but we need to consider a lot of things about it. And this is one of them. The name of Israel that God gives to Jacob means God prevails. Uh, and of course I give the rest of the definition and you can read that if you want but you, you know it already but keep in mind the, the meaning of that name and why it's important uh, and it can be used not just as a national title but in this 
context of meaning, okay, uh, in, in other words, you as Christians really have the name Israel attached to you in, in some way. And that God prevails. He prevailed in your life because of what you did when you submitted to Him in salvation. And so Paul's going to talk about it and he's going to address that. But keep those things in mind when we get back to Romans. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 9. Uh, the first five verses, as we said, talks about Paul's burden for Israel. Uh, verses 6 through 13, Israel's rejection of God's purpose. We read that far already. Then the following two parts or sections of chapter 9, Paul talks about Israel's rejection of God's justice and then the present condition of Israel. And of course, the present condition when Paul was writing. And, and much so, the present condition even today. So that's where we're headed. Now, if we look, and here's where we go to the technology, so keep your fingers crossed. Uh, if we look at the, this, this timeline, we begin to see some overlaps. And so I want to talk about, when we get over here, we, we move past uh, Abraham and Isaac. By the way, uh, Joseph, let's talk just a moment, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because I'm running out of time already. But let's talk about uh, Joseph and his brothers. So Joseph had this habit of dreaming. And when he would dream, he wanted to go and share it with his family, especially his brothers. And what were the dreams always about? Him being the ruler. So here's his pipsqueak, the young guy, the little brother. And he wants to talk about all his big brothers, how he's going to be in charge one day. All right, I see several male egos in the room. How, did it, how was that received, guys? <laughs> Shut up, you punk. You know, go tend the sheep, something like that. And yet Joseph is favored by his father above the others. And that didn't help matters. But what did they do as a result of that to Joseph? Well, we know that they, uh, they finally, they talked about killing him. And they, the older brother spoke up and said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. But they throw him in a pit. And, we, you know, we read over this without pausing to think how horrific this is. Put yourself in the group of brothers here. Can you be a part of this? That's what we're describing. You take your youngest brother, you, you beat him up undoubtedly, you throw him into a pit, and then they sat down and had lunch by the pit. Think about that. Do you think Joseph was just down there twiddling his thumbs? What would Joseph have been doing? Screaming. Begging, screaming, let me out of here, scared to death, no doubt. And they sat down and have lunch and listen to that. And then traitors come along and they sell their brother into slavery. And then deceive their father by saying their brother was killed by a wild animal. And then apparently go on about their lives. We don't read about them again until they had the famine and they had to go to Egypt, right? Apparently they just went back to their living. They were okay with it, in other words. These are God's people, by the way. God's chosen nation. The heads of the tribes that are being formed. So when God chooses people, let's not second guess Him. He knows what He's doing. But here's the thing. As, as angry as they were at Joseph, and maybe some of it's justified because a little snot's talking about how he's going to be in charge without really explaining that this is God's doing and not his. 
the brothers still have to reject God's choices and God's plan for their own comfort. And that's what happens. Even as far back as when the 12 tribes are just 12 guys. And we see this repeat itself over and over and over again in Israel's history. And that's really the point of all this leading up to Romans chapter 9. And, that, and this, this is what Paul is expressing. That Israel again and again and again rejects God's plan and God's program. And part of God's plan and God's program is his own choosing of who he will use. And who he will put into certain positions. And by the way, let's let's pause here. Things are no different for us. Oh, I use Matt. I pick on Matt all the time, so I'm just going to do it again. Sorry, you shouldn't sit up front. (laughs) But let's say Matt says, you know, it's not fair that Chris gets to lead the class all the time. It's just not right of God to do that, and and he starts a coup, (laughs) a Sunday school coup, if you can imagine. And he starts petitioning and, and talking behind my back and he, and he starts remembering and he gets me removed so that he can then be, be the teacher. What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is, you know, well, he might be a better teacher. I don't know. But, but it's not God's program, apparently. It's not the plan right now. It's not the way I go about it. And this is the things that happen in Israel again and again and again, almost to that point of silliness. Because they have to constantly reject God's plan. Sometimes it's on a small scale. Sometimes it's on a grand scale. And and that's kind of what we're getting at here and alluding to. So as we go further, we get into the, the wilderness. Moses is leading them out. And he goes up on the mountain to receive the commandments. What's the first thing that they do? Make a make a Make an idol. The golden calf. So immediately, they're led. They they stir and they make a, a golden calf and they begin to pray to it. And, and of course, Moses comes down. He gets mad and slams the. I'm afraid like Moses is dead because he's been up there. Like, oh, he's dead. Probably because it would it would have been a terrifying thing. Yeah. The mountains, there's thunders and clouds and all this stuff. Does that excuse it? Is the question, and that's and that's and that's just what Paul is getting at too. Good question. But here's the thing: because you don't understand what God's doing, does not give us the right to change the plan. And it happens almost immediately out in the the desert. Then, and then we get back to this era. The the next large section we get to the the era of the judges. And if you've read through these judges, and this is Samson and Gideon and all those, uh, all of those folks, what happens? They follow God for a while. There's a good judge, and then there's a bad judge, and they fall away, and they're, and they're punished. And it, and it's up. It's just up. It looks like an EKG, doesn't it? They're on the mountain. They're back in the valley. They're on the mountain. They're back in the. They're on the hill. Oh, valley, valley. Back on the mountain again. And it goes on and on and on. But at least they're following God's program to a point, and then we get to the kingdom era. What's wrong with the kingdom era? Why is that a problem? Because they had kings other than God. They wanted a 
Exactly. It wasn't God's plan. It was never God's plan to have a king in Israel. It just wasn't. You can read scripture. He says it outright. He tells Samuel, he just said, this is, or Eli, one of them, this is just not my plan. No, Samuel. He said, they have not rejected you, they rejected me. Why? Because they want a king. They want to be like other nations. And so is it God's plan? No, but does God allow it? Yes. But it's still, on a national scale, Israel rejecting God's plan. Why? They didn't understand it, or at least they weren't satisfied with it. And they said, we want to be like other, we want to do it this way, God. And so we start this path. And God says, well, if you do that, these kings are going to need kingdoms, which means they're going to levy taxes, which means they're going to need an army to defend it, and they're going to take your sons and your money. And what happened? God was right. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of governments, doesn't it? Well, then there's, there's the exile and, and, uh, and all these things, and, and they live, they're, they're captured, they're, they're taken into captivity by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans, on and on it goes. So back and forth and back and forth it goes, and they, they constantly seem to be pulling away and falling away throughout their history from God's plan. And this is why they reject the Messiah. Had they followed God's plan, had they just listened to God? And, and I'm not trying to point a finger because America's doing the same thing. You know, we, we, we don't follow God's plan. We reject God's plan as a nation, I'm saying. Now, in Israel, even in Israel, there's always a remnant. Notice that, that that's true. There's always a remnant there that are believing, that are trying to follow God, but they don't, they don't have national control. As a nation, they fall away, just as America is doing right now. And God keeps bringing them into judgment and bringing them back. So we get to Romans chapter 9, and, and Paul begins to plead and say, my heart's broken for my people. He says, I would almost give up my own salvation if I knew... It would pull the nation back to God. If it would bring them back to God. And to what extent he means that. Does he mean 100% of, of fellowship with God. By 100% of Jews. Certainly that would be the goal. But I, you know. Exactly what he means by this. I don't know. But he's speaking. Obviously rhetorical. Because this, this is not how it works. Paul knows that. He said this is just how bad my heart hurts for my people. Uh, my nation. And then he begins to talk about their rejection of God's purpose. And this is where he starts to get into uh, the, the choosing by God. And, and, and by the way, this follows up from chapter 8, at least it correlates from this, where he talks about um, the... Um, oh, I've just, I've just gone blank there. Um, predest the predestination verses that we covered. Uh, that are based on his, his foreknowledge. Uh, moreover, whom he, whom, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified. And he, kind of, he relates this to Israel as well, not just in the salvation, but even in Israel's history. And he references Jacob uh, as being called by God and being chosen by God. And so in verses 6 through 13, he talks about the rejection of God's purposes by the nation of Israel. And 
in verse 11 he says, For the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God according to the election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. In other words, God chose. Even before Jacob and Esau were born. So some people say that God chose Jacob because he uh, was the more spiritual of the two. Because Esau, of course, sold his birthright. But God makes the choice before either of them are born. So again, you can say based on his foreknowledge, but neither Jacob or Esau had done anything good or bad when the choice was made. It's before they're even born. So again, we're talking about the foreknowledge of God, the perfect knowledge of God, and God's perfect right to choose and make those choices. And he talks about that in the, voices, in the verses that follow. In verse 14, where he talks about what, uh, and here in this section he talks about Israel's rejection of God's justice. In other words, God's right to choose, really is what he references here. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And you know, that, those verses rub us wrong, the wrong way sometimes it's at first glance. And many will struggle with the passages back in Exodus when Pharaoh is rejecting. Uh, and and, and the, the scriptures say what? God hardened his heart. But understand this, long before those passages take effect, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. He builds resistance up against God, and he worships pagan gods and idols, and he is full of pride, he's full of self. He wants to control and enslave God's people leading up to that. God just allows him to go ahead and rebel. So God puts choices in front of him, knowing that Pharaoh is going to rebel. Pharaoh essentially hardens his own heart, but God allows it. But regardless of how he does it, Paul is saying God is the creator God. If he says, I'm going to have favor on this one by my choosing, we better not argue with that. And, and sometimes this is the problem when, when we get into predestination discussions. People struggle with it because it, it's so unfair. Everybody wants to be fair, fair, fair all the time, right? And that's, by, by the way, that's bad policy. I taught my children as soon as they can understand it, I was an unfair dad, that I would treat them differently. And sometimes it's because he was a boy and she was a girl. And they didn't have to like it, but this is how it was going to be. And they, for the most part, they're okay with it. I don't think I did permanent damage anyway. <laughs> but parents have some backbone. And, and do what's right. And it's not always about boy and girl. Sometimes it's about responsibility and reliability. People are different. And God had a plan and a purpose for Israel. And this is why he chose the things that he chose and the people that he chose. And he doesn't ever apologize. I never read where God says, you know, I, I was really, I'm sorry about Genesis 35. That was my bad, people. I should have been more fair. I never read that verse. God did the right thing every single time, it seems, right? And he will continue to do so. And so this is Paul reaching out, and, and he's expressing this towards the nation of Israel. Hey, just stop rejecting God's choices 
and trust that he's right. And this is where he ends up, and I'm way out of time, so I've got to end this lesson. But he basically sums it up at the end, and he says, uh, verses, verse 30, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of what? Faith. Then on the contrary, verse 31, But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. And so Paul says, this is the difference. It's faith. It was faith with Abraham. It's faith now. Regardless of you liking God's choices or agreeing with his ability and his function of choosing one over the other, breaking with tradition time sometimes to do so, it's following by faith. By the way, and this, just, this last example just came to mind. Does it ever hinder anyone if God chooses one over the other? The answer is no. And we have a perfect example of that in Jonathan. If anybody could have been offended, it would have been Jonathan, right? Who is Jonathan? He's the prince of Israel. He's the prince of the first king of Israel. And God, because of the sin of not Jonathan... Jonathan's father says, that's it, I'm choosing David. And putting David in place. And what does Jonathan do? He loves him. He loves him. Why? Their hearts were knit together. Why? Because David loved God. And Jonathan's one of my biblical heroes. And Jonathan chooses to serve God regardless of choice. See? Don't question God. Have faith in God. End of lesson. I love you. Get out of here. We'll see you next week.